0: Some people see it as a personality disorder. Some people see it as like that some people just have issues with social interactions. So my question with all of that is how well can it actually be treated if there is so much debate on how to view the issue in the first place?
1: On this episode of the Multi-Amory podcast, we're talking about codependency in relationships. This is a subject that we've discussed for many years in other episodes, but we were actually really surprised recently to find out that we've never dedicated an entire episode to this subject. So in this episode, we want to cover what does it mean to have a codependent relationship? Why is it thought of in such a negative way? And we're also going to explore... In depth, some very um, very valid criticisms of the whole model of codependency and some problems actually that come from that so we 're going to kind of divide this episode in half where in the first half. We're going to talk about codependency and explore how understanding it can be helpful to you. And then in the second half, uh, we're going to talk about how basically how codependency as a concept could actually be a problem and might not be helpful. It might actually be causing some harm to think about it. So we'll kind of look at both so that you can get that information and make those decisions for yourself.
0: Yeah, I was very surprised to find anything out there that... Wasn't just the normal, like, codependency uh, is something that you need to, that you probably have or have had at some point in your relationships, and it's something that you need to get rid of in your life, and here are the ways to do it. Like, that's fully what I expected this episode to be when I started researching it, and it did kind of turn into something else entirely. But we'll go down, as Jay said, that one path for a little while, and then go on another path a little bit later in the episode. But yeah, I I am a child of the 90s. I grew up with um with a mom who talked a lot about codependency oh, really? as I was growing up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't Definitely. Realize. So that
1: was like a common like household conversation for you.
0: Very much. Yeah. Oh. I think just simply because so my mom, you know, had some relationships as I was growing up but eventually sort of just stopped having relationships with people with men um because she felt that she was codependent and really, like, mm. couldn't couldn't break free from her codependent nature and really have, like, a relationship where she didn't, as she would say, like, lose herself within the relationship, right. trying to do things that uh, the men would want her to do and just be the kind of person... Uh, that these men wanted her to be and et cetera, et cetera. And so she felt like she just wanted to please everyone and she was a doormat. And so the best way, if she couldn't, if she couldn't overcome that, then the best thing to do would just simply to be like, not to have a relationship with anyone anymore, Um, you know, in a romantic sense and just continue her relationship with her friends and with me and her family members. But that was it. So that's really interesting. And so, yeah, I heard the word so much growing up and, I think wow. it's it's interesting to note that, yeah, the, the term really became prevalent, like, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s.
1: So Right. I guess, like, late 70s, yeah. and then especially in the 80s is when it started gaining popularity. And then yeah, I guess it, exactly. And then I guess you were hearing about it from your mom probably during the 90s.
0: D- totally, yeah. yeah. And I think Dedeker, even, I'm sad that she's not with us today, but she definitely had talked to me about that as well, that her mom also threw the term around a ton in relation, I guess, to her romantic relationships and right. uh, talked about being a codependent person. Did Did you hear that ever when when you were growing up?
1: I mean, I do. It definitely was a term that got thrown around. I think for me, I didn't really hear it as much, maybe until maybe high school and college. And it more would have been from friends and things like that. Uh, you know, interesting. M- growing up, okay. y- you know, my mom had lots of the various sort of like pop psychology books, you know, like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. and of
0: cu- Oh, uh, classic. Totally you know. classic. I feel like we should like do an episode <laughs> on debunking that book at some point yeah. or something. It's, it's like yeah. barely
1: even worth acknowledging at this point anymore. But yeah, but yeah totally. Um, right. So like she definitely read those sorts of things. And honestly, I would be super surprised if she didn't read some of these titles. But I think that... It at least didn't become as much of, like, a commonplace term in my household as it sounds like Mm. it did for you. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah. yeah.
0: It it still is one that's thrown around. And and I had a long conversation with my mom after doing the research on this episode just about it and about, like, these – the things that people speak about now and how they want to – Uh, continue trying to make a term that's better than codependency because it Mm. has such like stigma attached to it but
1: i see um yeah
0: exactly so i i looked up just in the dictionary what codependency is and it's a noun and it means excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction yeah that's it, it. definitely sometimes what I hear in relation to this. Although I guess, yeah, my mother was with a partner who was an alcoholic for many years and he lived with us. And eventually, you know, she kicked him out, which is great. I think in a lot of ways that that was the right thing for us to do um, and for her to do. But I think that she also relayed the word, to just herself in relationships that doesn't have anything to do with having a partner who is ill or addicted to something.
1: Right. So this is something that actually surprised me in the research, and I guess maybe shouldn't have, but that this idea of codependence started as specifically talking about partners of people with substance addiction. Yes. And that since then has broadened. And because... When I think of codependence, just in general, like if you toss out that term, like, what is it? I tend to think of the phrase like these two people are codependent with each other. Yeah, interesting. I I tend to think of it more as that thing that I think, uh, you know, romance in movies and stories tends to teach us is this idea of like, you're not complete without this specific Mm -hmm. other person. And so Mm -hmm. like, as soon as they're gone even if they just leave for like a little trip or something you're like really depressed and you like don't have an identity of your own to me that's what comes to mind and it was interesting seeing that oh actually this got its origins in dealing with more of this cycle of uh, you know substance addiction and the people who are supporting them or you know enabling enabling or or, yeah yeah
0: yeah, exactly yeah Yeah, so um can we talk about some of the like book titles that yeah I wrote some of these down because some of them are pretty amazing and I didn't realize that specifically it was so prevalent in Christian culture too that like there were a lot of books written about it within the Christian community I guess
1: yeah I've actually noticed this with a lot of relationship books in general particularly from the 90s I think still today but that there tends to be a lot of Christian messages uh, or like very overtly christian titles in relationship books and i think that i think that that's part of that is that in at least american society there's been so much of this bond like this uh, connection made between you know good romantic relationships and christianity the whole idea of like christian marriage huh. being kind of the the ideal it's like the thing everyone should want the thing that needs to be protected, stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. let, let's let's hit you with some of these titles here. Um, so, okay, so here's some examples of titles like uh, Beyond Codependency or Please Say You Don't Need Me, colon, Biblical Answers for Codependency. Can Christians please Love... Please don't say you need me. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Can Christians Love Too Much, question mark, Breaking the Cycle of Codependency. And the number one, sort of the Bible of codependency. See, look, I even worked a Christian metaphor into there. There you go. Well done. And this one is codependent no more, colon, how to stop controlling others and start caring for yourself. So that's interesting. How to
0: stop controlling others. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, that one, I guess, was referenced in a lot of the articles that I read as being, like, the big one that people went back to over and over again right? Um, and that was bought the most, I guess, during this time hmm. and is mm-hmm. seen as, like, the codependency Bible. Right. So, yeah, that that is interesting. I wonder if, like, the Christian community sees um, people starting to – write books on specific topics for relationship help, like self-help relationship type things. And they're like, okay, we need to do this now from the Christian perspective. So well, see, that's I f-
1: why. I feel like a lot of it starts from the Christian perspective. Oh. Like if we think about okay. God, God, Dr. Gary Chapman and the love yeah. languages, right. Or if we talk about boundaries and that the authors of the boundaries books also very overtly Christian in those books so I actually feel like it, it mm-hmm. almost comes the other way more, that it's like within within the Christian world, that's where people are writing these books or like trying to figure these things out some of the time. At least or maybe the ones who do it from a Christian standpoint get more popular, so then become more widespread yeah. culturally versus the ones who are researching it not from a Christian perspective. I don't know. I don't know. That's maybe another so, another episode. E-
0: <laughs> No, totally. Yeah, that's fascinating. And something that uh, it, it generally I wouldn't have been privy to just simply because I didn't grow up in a Christian household at all. Mm. See, so I I would go the opposite direction and being like, okay, something starts and then mm. becomes Christian rather than it right. starting in the Christian community and then branching out to more secular communities. So, yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I, um it so I I saw that you can look on Google And kind of chart the timeline in which, like, these books became really popular. Mm. And I guess it started right around 1979 and then shot, like, way up, way, way up and through the 80s and then early 90s. And then it reached, like, its apex in 1995 and then has been on a steady decline ever since. Got it. And one of the things to think about with this is that There was, like, the time, I guess, in the Reagan – was it the Reagan era where, like, the war on drugs was happening? And Uh. I think that this kind of – if you look at it from the perspective of that it's – codependency was, like, first came onto the scene talking about illness or addiction and how to treat, you know, a partner who is staying with another partner who has those things – then I guess that would make sense why in 1979, like around the Reagan administration and stuff like that, it was making this like huge increase in people being interested in it in that way. Interesting.
1: Okay, sure. Yeah, I I wouldn't even put together that sort of political aspect to it, I guess.
0: Well, it's like yeah, the drug part of this is something that I guess people are trying to combat in certain ways and that like drugs become this big thing that's uber prevalent in our society and that everyone's freaking out about and so we've got to like start writing these books and stuff now. I don't know. That that was in some of the research that I read and yeah, I found it kind sense. of interesting. Yeah, so we we alluded to this before but there are two different camps of people out there surrounding this issue. So one camp believes that codependency is this very real, very treatable issue that a ton of people suffer from. And then there's this other camp who thinks that it's essentially just a cultural phenomenon that has been way overdiagnosed. So some people believe that it's something that happens in, the re- in relationships that doesn't need to change. Like it's a nurturing quality or it's like something that people just simply – do and it's it's not something that needs to like change at all within within a relationship so that was very interesting to me and that again yeah it's like pathologizing this idea that people are being being sweet and kind and nurturing and and saying that that's like a bad thing and stigmatizing it i guess is the better way to put that yeah so
1: we'll explore that more later so let's start with yeah let's really talk about codependency and kind of how this can be how this can be useful to understand how this might be affecting Mm -hmm. us in our relationships. And let's kind of go from there first.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I found a article in mental health America that had like a nice, just, overarching sort of definition for what it is and so it says codependency is a learned behavior that can be passed down from one generation to another it is an emotional and behavioral condition that affects an individual's ability to have healthy mutually satisfying relationships Mm. so interesting Interesting. yeah and now that as as you said is more what i thought of when i thought of codependency not that it was also this thing that had to do with, you know, substance abuse and stuff like that, but rather that it affects an individual's ability to have a healthy, mutually satisfying relationship.
1: Right. Yeah, it's interesting. So so then in that same article, they go on to talk about the ways that you can identify if you're codependent. And there's a bunch of traits, and there's also, you know, online there's questionnaires, and there's all sorts of ways that you can self-diagnose yourself. Uh, But we're just going to run through... Uh, I guess a number of the things on this list here of uh, traits that you might be like, oh, I might be codependent if I feel these things. So I'm just going to go down a few of these. Um, An exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others. A tendency to confuse love and pity with the tendency to love Mm -hmm. people that they can pity and rescue. This one I thought was interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I think another term I've heard related to this uh is calling someone a rescuer. That I, yeah, I think that, that I've heard that before that term probably grows out of similar similar ideas and similar research of like trying to find someone that you think you can fix rather than finding someone who meets you as an equal or, you know, things like that.
0: I feel yeah I just feel like these these things that they're saying and and will continue on the list of characteristics but so often it's it's not something that anybody necessarily knows that they're doing and I think that's mm. part of this whole thing it's just it's very like intrinsic it's very within them and it's hard to kind of step back from that and say like wait a minute why is does everybody that I want to be in a relationship with like they need Fixing in some way for lack of a better word like i need to mm. help them or i need to like pull them up by their bootstraps or something along those lines so that's interesting that, yeah that that lists it as one of them did like a tendency to confuse love and pity fascinating
1: yeah uh let's see uh, a tendency to do more than their share all the time it's interesting mm. how you define what your share is but yeah um, a tendency to yeah, yeah. <laughs> tendency to become hurt when people don't recognize their efforts. Sure, I've felt hurt if people didn't recognize my efforts. Uh, yeah. I'm... an unhealthy dependence on relationships. Okay, hang on. I gotta call them out here. I got marked down <laughs> for this in papers <laughs> like, what in does high that mean? school. That you can't uh, you can't oh. use the term to define itself, right? It's like, what is codependency? It's an unhealthy dependence on relationships. It's unhealthy dependence on on relationships. You can't do that. Uh, They go on to say... Well, mental health America, (laughs) bring that up with them, okay? I'll I'll write them a strongly worded letter where I will not do that. Uh, So they say the codependent will do anything to hold on to a relationship to avoid the feeling of abandonment. Okay, that fits more with Mm, what comes to mind for me of like the codependent, right? Of just like, I need this just because so I'm going to do anything to keep it, even if it's not good. That's that, that yeah. makes sense from what I would have guessed, um, an extreme okay. need for approval and recognition, a sense of guilt when asserting themselves. Oof. Yeah, I feel mm. like I've definitely wrestled with that. I feel like most of us have. Um, oh, me
0: too. Absolutely.
1: Let's see a compelling need to control others, which is interesting too, that it's like, are you being controlled or are you doing it's the kind controlling? Of the flips. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think maybe that's the flip side of this Mm, Okay, is that, like, a codependent can be either the one being controlled or the one doing the controlling, perhaps. And, okay, yeah, so this is going to, I think, go more into that side of things with the rest of these characteristics. So a lack of trust in self and or others, Um, fear of being abandoned or alone. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that kind of was back up there the uh, or to avoid the feeling of abandonment was in another one uh difficulty identifying feelings fascinating interesting that's interesting like
1: i I, yeah i never would have put that in the same boat as codependency but that i definitely like that's kind of an ongoing joke between Dedeker and myself where oh yeah where i'll be like (laughs) you don't know what you're feeling no where i'll be like i'm feeling something and i don't know what it is (laughs) like, that's what i <laughs> yeah like she's said that maybe i don't know what excited feels like and so i think that uh when i think i'm feeling anxious maybe i'm actually just excited or you know variations on that well, or like i'm yeah, feeling i don't know Steve if i'm Easton feeling sad that. yeah i know we've heard that one before uh so anyway yeah, yeah that idea of, of not being able to tell what I love feeling how you're is. like
0: yeah you're like oh crap i'm, I'm <laughs> i can see myself in some of these i mean that's the thing like who can who can't see themselves in many of these? Right. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me just finish up here. Okay, rigidity and difficulty adjusting to change. Okay, yeah. That's often me. Yeah. Uh problems with intimacy or boundaries. Hmm. Chronic anger, lying slash dishonesty, poor communications, and then difficulty making decisions.
1: Geez, again, I wouldn't have thought of that as related to codependency, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, from what it had said, essentially, that if you find that you do these things, you are more likely to be a potentially codependent person. And so they're just right. like characteristics of somebody who might potentially be more codependent than another person who doesn't have difficulty making decisions or something, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that is something that we should keep in mind here. Cause again, if you're like, there's ways, you know, different tests and things like that, that therapists or psychologists can use to help diagnose things because with almost anything that you could be diagnosed with, if you look at the list of potential symptoms, you probably have some of them to some degree, right? Like mm-hmm. if you think about, yeah. um, uh, if you think about like, I remember in college. I was worried that I might have some form of ADD and went to a psychologist and he did a test for that. And basically it was like, while I answered yes to a number of the questions, my total score was not enough that I would be put in that category of like to the point of of needing medications or things like that. And I think that what I took away from that was that it's this... We all experience those things, right? Like we all experience that sometimes it's hard to sit still, or sometimes it's hard to focus on something or, you know what I mean? And I think the same with these, it's like, sometimes we're all going to feel these things. It's just, are they out of balance, right? Are they to the point where it's harming your quality of life? And I think that right there is the interesting question. So yeah. So research uh, on this has shown that those who had um, abusive or neglectful parents um, or parents with substance abuse issues are more likely to be codependent as adults. Um, And Mm -hmm. the statistics are kind of staggering. And some saying like 40 million people suffer from codependency. Others saying... 50% Fifty percent of Americans has some yeah, form of codependency. I was blown away by that. Fifty yeah. percent,
0: like it's just like you're you're blindly like throwing a number out and being like, <laughs> well, probably about fifty percent of all people like have this thing. Yeah. like that was amazing to me.
1: Yeah, and
0: that that is that kind of led me into this idea of like, well, let's look a little bit further into this because I wonder is that actually true? Is that actually something? You know, it's just everybody in America is freaking codependent. Like, what is this? You know, what what is this number actually about?
1: Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, okay, we kind of have a rough overview now of like what codependency mm-hmm. is, some ways that you might determine, hey, maybe this is something I should look into. Maybe this is something that's affecting me. But let's talk about how is this helpful then? Right? Like, how is how could this information be helpful to you? And
0: I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I I mean, it, it just like my mother said many years ago, essentially, mm-hmm. if you are finding that you continue being in relationships where your, uh, ability to be your own person and not be a doormat or not be walked all over, I guess in this, in the ways that she talks about back then, um, that if you find that you are continually doing those types of behaviors within relationships, then thinking about codependency and what perhaps these different like diagnostic or, I guess, tests or whatever, questionnaires or any of those things, like what they say might be the case, then that's something to think about and look into. But I do think that it's incredibly important to go see a professional – Instead of just maybe self-diagnosing this thing, because Mm. you it's I I think that it can be challenging perhaps to just be like, shit, like I might I I do a ton of these things. So that means like I'm definitely a codependent and then try to just like fix it on your own. I don't know. That's that's why I think like having a licensed professional or having someone who really knows what they're doing in terms of this. Maybe that's the best bet uh, when when talking to someone about this and trying to fix it.
1: Yeah, and I I understand that, I think there's a difference, right, between being like, I want a diagnosis, whether that's something Mm -hmm. I've given to myself or something that I want a professional to give me, and I think that can definitely be there too. But even if you're more looking at it from the point of view of like, I want just sort of tools and advice that I could use, then I do think, like Emily was saying, like. Let's have a little bit of caution in just jumping to be like, aha, I'm definitely this. So like any advice toward this category of person, I should do that. Right. That that's definitely mm-hmm. the right advice for me. Uh, and it it reminds me of when we talked before about um, the empaths and narcissists, that there's a similar thing of like, you know, the armchair psychologists at home being like, aha, definitely I'm going to identify this thing. And that. Yeah, Maybe in doing that, you can find some useful tools that can help you, like some useful advice. Because maybe you go, yes, this makes a lot of sense. I would love mm-hmm. some tools and some ways to stop doing these things as much. I think that can be really useful, right? Same if you're like reading stuff about narcissists and empaths, but sure, if you're reading it from this point of view of like, ah, well. I'm just in this category, so therefore I can't ever have these things, or I can't ever do these things, or they're in this category, so they are by definition this way, and they'll always be that mm-hmm. way, that yeah. I think that's where it can become problematic.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. And it, yeah, it it is the challenging armchair psychologist <laughs> thing of being like, well, I'm I I know because Pinterest or the internet or whatever told me that this thing is the truth and right. the case. It is fascinating cuz I I have on Pinterest like relationships as one of my um Tags, things that yeah. just tends to come up and codependency on there comes up a lot mm, and it is generally the You know, you are a codependent, you might be a codependent if you have these symptoms and then, you know, ways in which to like break yourself free from codependency and things like that. And most of them are just like asserting yourself if if you are in that role, like trying to assert yourself, trying to allow, you know, your voice to be heard in various ways. Um, when when your partner per- potentially isn't hearing it and things along those lines, and that's not to say that that's not great advice because it can be in certain situations. But if yeah. we go back to the root of what the word meant back when it was it became a thing in the seventies, then yeah, it, just to say like, okay, well, I'm definitely a codependent because of X, Y, and Z. It may be kind of taking away from like the initial stuff. Th- what what w- it was going for back then.
1: Hmm, yeah. Maybe taking away some of the value from the people who this was really meant to help. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So before we go on in talking about the other side and then going on to kind of talk about what what do we do now that we've seen these two sides, before we go on to that, we want to take a quick moment to talk about ways that you can support this show to keep it going. Because this is something that does cost a lot of time and money for us to do. And it's something that we want to keep growing. And we've been able to do so much because of all of you. So please take a moment, you know, listen to this, keep it playing and visit some of the sponsors, because honestly, that does directly go to support us, uh, just like joining our Patreon does.
0: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. All right. So let's now talk about the other side of this issue. And and this is more the side where psychologists and researchers have some questions and some issues with like the term codependency and kind of where that's gone over the last I guess what forty, fifty? How many years has it been since the seventies? I still look at the seventies <laughs> as being like thirty years ago, right. but it's definitely not anymore. It no, definitely that's isn't fifty yeah. years
1: ago now. I know that's wow,
0: ins- wow that's really unbelievable to me. Yeah. Like fifty <laughs> years ago, it's not. It's not thirty anymore. No way. I wasn't born in nineteen seventy. No, I was not. So right. um, okay, um, so. Yeah. So No, there's just saying that there's this great critique out there from Kimberly A. Calderwood and Ann Rajasparam. I I said that wrong, but it was fantastic. So the origin of codependency is this term. It's codependency as a term is talked about in a critique from Kimberly A. Calderwood and Ann Rajasparam. Um, And they say in this critique, codependency is a concept that initially emerged in the addictions field in the 1970s to address unhealthy family relations that occurred as a result of substance dependencies. So that is, again, as we said before, very specific to a specific Mm. thing that was like the reason why this term and this idea of codependency was even like initiated, like a, started, I guess, in the past. Yeah. So that's something to think about so, in regards to like what we're about to, to go over.
1: Right. So one of their major critiques of it is just a lack of agreement on a definition of codependency among those in the medical field, essentially mm-hmm. arguing that there's so many definitions and characteristics like the ones that we talked about before that basically anyone could be diagnosed as codependent. And to them, that's a major yep. problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so there's also only one psychometric index of codependency out there. Psychometric, I believe, it just means that, like, you can... You actually like have a tool for measuring if somebody is this thing or not, right? And it's there's like one talking about with yeah. uh,
1: with ADD, like that. There's various psychometric
0: psychometric indexes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for codependency, code like as big as that is, and as many people as those, you know, if fifty percent of all people or whatever, like some people think that that's how many people out there actually have this. There's actually only one psychometric index, and it's called the oh gosh. Holyoke? Holyoke? That's it. Yep, That's it. No, you're right. The Holyoke Codependency Index. But even the authors of this index have stated that there are several limitations with the tool. It's interesting that there haven't been
1: other tools developed. Because I feel like often in psychology, you know, you'll get multiple different tools that you can then compare to each other and... You know, use those to sort of reinforce or get a second opinion, essentially. Uh, yeah, And that there's I think not that really would be that awesome. for this. Yeah.
0: No, there's not. Yeah. And because of that, there's just like a lot of back and forth regarding to how to even look at and diagnose codependency. And people see it even as different things. So some people see it in terms of like a disease framework, that it actually is a disease that is diagnosable and treatable. Some people see it as a personality disorder. Some people see it as like that. Some people just have issues with social interactions. So my question with all of that is how well can it actually be treated if there is so much debate on how to view the issue in the first place?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about another issue, which is, um, that feminists dislike the codependency label because they see it as sexist and pejorative against women. Yeah, this one this I, I thought is really was really interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it's because it's it's often given to women or mothers who are in relationships with men who suffer from substance abuse, and it often attributes responsibility and enablement to them.
1: Yeah. So that's let's take a moment and and break that down and pause for a second here. Yeah. That while I think the creators of this concept of codependency were doing it from a place of we want to help people who feel trapped in these relationships or who, you know, are, are yeah, I guess, suffering because of mm-hmm. their partner's substance abuse and are unable to get out. And I think that that's a good intention. But yeah. this is a fascinating point, though, that as this concept grew... It got to the point where we're now saying, okay, you, again, often women, uh, you know, wives or mothers or, or girlfriends were saying, mm-hmm. well, actually his problem's partly your fault because you're codependent. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and exactly.
1: Yikes. <laughs> when you put it that way, I know. It, it, like we didn't realize that that's kind of what you're saying with this and that's troubling.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And you and I had talked about this a bit before, as well, but you said something to the degree of like we're we're essentially telling people to get out of relationships and and be more you said something like be more like mm. the guy would be. Yeah, can can you explain what you were talking about there?
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Which,
0: again, it, it's this is hard because we're talking very on the binary here, and we're talking about, like, social structures of, like, how men and women mm-hmm. act in, you know, what people think of as, like, male behavior versus female behavior or something along those lines. Right. And so that's not necessarily the case at all here. But, yeah,
1: Yeah. Please, explain but right we've we've talked about this before a little bit with this idea that like in the world of business yeah generally the approach that's taken both by by many feminists um and people who are you know pro-gender equality is to say like okay well clearly we just need to make it more okay for women to act like men in the workplace Mm -hmm. and that women should take on more of these traits which you know means like playing yourself up, kind of bragging more, uh, being more confident, being more assertive, yada, 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 that that's kind of the conventional advice that's given in the world of business. And a critique of that, that, uh, you know, Dedeker likes to talk about a lot. I wish she was here to talk about it more, Yeah, is that the irony is that in saying, okay, we're approaching this being critical of the current norms and the you know domination of men in the workplace and uh, or sort of like domination by men in the workplace I guess I mean Mm -hmm. and and yet our solution is based on this assumption that the way men do things is the best way right or or, exactly and I don't even mean to say the the way men do things but the way we think of as masculine ways of behaving
0: yeah and that that's the thing to strive for in the workplace and also within this that like the best thing right. to do is to rid yourself of these feelings of wanting to nurture or wanting to be um loving and caring and you know, therefore a partner in these ways. And that to me is a very interesting critique that like mm-hmm. all of a sudden that becomes a bad thing and you are enabling your partner's behavior in their, co- in their substance abuse just simply because you're trying to be helpful.
1: Right, that like we've taken yet another thing that we tend to associate caregiving with women and not mm-hmm. with men. And we're finding a way to say that the caring and the caregiving is itself the problem, or it is a problem. It's something we're going to pathologize and call it a disease or a disorder. Kind of, again, what we're doing is we're saying like, we're kind of saying women be more like men. And then we're also saying yeah. men definitely don't you be caring because that's this problem that that women have. And I know we're speaking very gender binary, like Emily pointed yeah, out. Yeah, we are, but yeah. And the, the point of that is not, the, the whole point, I guess, is to say that that's not reality. But unfortunately- yeah. That's so we baked still live into in a world where culture. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. 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 And so I, I looked up and found this really great YouTube video by the name of the myth of codependency. And it talks about this very thing amongst others, mm. where, yeah, the feminist critique of codependency just says that the label of codependency denies male accountability and continues this further oppression of women, that that's the feminist critique of it, that it denies male accountability. So again, I mean, people, you know, women can also be substance abusers, obviously, and, and they can be the ones who, um, maybe put a a man or a female partner or whomever in, um, non-binary or whatever, in these uh, different situations. And so that's not to say that it's only an issue for a man and a woman or for, you know, people within these types of situations, but it is something to think about. And I, I agree that one should look at this critically in terms of a feminist critique, because there are issues here with how it's being presented,
1: Yeah. So, so let's go back and kind of explore a little more this idea of pathologizing caretaking, Mm -hmm. uh, because that's also part of the concerns about codependency. And I think this one's interesting because on the one hand, as we talked about before, I think that understanding codependency and maybe seeing, oh, I'm, I have some of these traits and finding ways to, you know, have better boundaries or kind of, um, be clearer with what's harmful for you in your life. I think that can be really useful. I think that, that can be, be a good thing. Yeah. I think it can be life-saving. I think that's incredibly important. Sure, but when taken too far in terms of overdiagnosing codependency, we're essentially saying that any type of caretaking is a disease right mm-hmm. and i know that's yeah. a, a bit of an exaggeration but that's where it can start to go and
0: yeah but when saying that like code of Hennessy is a disease like yeah i mean that's that's an interesting place in which to take it and right. one that yeah i didn't even realize that it had been thought of as like a disease well in yeah. addition to maybe just you know a personality trait or a behavior that somebody might have
1: Right. Yeah. Like whether it's a disease or a disorder or whatever, I still think the same thing Mm -hmm. though, that we're pathologizing it, right? We're saying it's a problem. Yeah. And something that that, um, I thought was an interesting way of looking at this too, because again, this is coming from the framework of substance abuse. And it's interesting because we also talk about addiction as a disease, right? And yet the caretaking that someone might do for someone with the disease of alcoholism or drug addiction were much quicker to pathologize that into saying like that's codependency or that's enabling when you're trying to care for that person versus if they had cancer or if they had something else, the same types of caretaking. And so it becomes this weird thing of like, if we're gonna understand substance abuse and substance addiction as a disease, why then are we still not treating it like that in terms of the stigma that we put on to yeah, supporting? We're people saying like,
0: like one disease then is like more is better than the other in terms of like well this disease is worthy of being treated in a way that's like loving and caring and giving versus right. this other disease like well that's a bad disease that you essentially brought on yourself and so we need to look at it as this thing that like. Mm-hmm. You know, your your partners around, your people around you need to let you hit rock bottom or whatever. We're, we are right. going to get into that a little bit more slightly later, but uh, yeah, that that is something within all of this research that I found truly fascinating and and something to think about because, yeah, we say the word disease, and to me disease means, you know, one thing, and yet it's being turned into a more pathologized idea later on. So, or when when you talk about it,
1: yeah,
0: well, when you're talking about it in terms of like codependency, it's like, well, you know, and substance abuse. So if you have a substance, if you are someone who is addicted to a substance and that is a disease, like that's something that's bad and you're bad for having it kind of thing or for doing that.
1: Yeah. And it's, I do want to give a little caveat real quick there about, um, that, you know, we've talked about this before in episodes about saying like that substance abuse could be a red flag issue, uh, you know, kind of a a deal breaker type of just like, you don't, you don't want to be in that situation. And I think that it reminds me a little bit of some conversations we've had about mental health too, where, Mm -hmm. you know, where say you have a partner who has a type of anxiety that, with what you have going on, causes you then to also be very anxious or to be very withdrawn or to be very depressed or something, right? That there's those two things together, then causes you to not be supportive of them in a very good way. And it also causes a lot of harm to you. And yet, if we over glorify sort mm-hmm. of the the caregiving or like, Oh, you've got to be self-sacrificing for your partner. If we over glorify that we can end up encouraging those people to be stuck in that relationship. Sure. Even though it's causing both of them harm, arguably.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: But on the other hand, if you're someone who is equipped and able to, to offer support without it r- ruining your own life to a partner who has anxiety or who has depression or something like that, Yeah. It's that's that's kind of what we're talking about here, that if you are able to do that, we shouldn't pathologize that and say that something's then wrong with you if you want to be supporting that partner. And I think most people would understand that if we're talking about depression or anxiety. But, you know, and when it comes to substance abuse or other things, sometimes we there's more stigma there. And so it's harder to accept that same thing of like maybe some people could be equipped to support and shouldn't be shamed for it. But then other people maybe should get out of that situation because it's going to cause them more harm and they're not ultimately going to be as supportive of that partner as they think they are.
0: Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that it is very dependent upon you and the other person and what you are able to deal with in the moment and in that point in your life due to a variety of circumstances. So again, to just like blanket, blanket statement everything. If you're in this type of relationship, you need to get out of it and that's it. There's more to the whole story than that, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, So let's just talk slightly a little bit about uh, attachment styles um, and how it kind of can – can weave into this idea it might be more beneficial to look at attachment styles and see how we love and how some of those behaviors may seem codependent, but perhaps they're actually not. Hmm. So there was a psychology today article that talked a little bit about this, and I thought it was very interesting um in it that I'm just going to read a little bit from it. So it says some adults who do not feel safe or attached to their parents as children may have an ongoing struggle with insecurity in their relationships. They may feel unwanted, uncertain of their attachment attachment to others, worried about possible rejection, or afraid they will lose someone they love. When they find themselves with a partner who is abandoning or inconsistent for whatever reason, they respond and behave in a fearful way. They may become hypervigilant, dwelling on the problems of the people they love, or angry, isolated, jealous, possessive, or obsessed with trying to change or help their partner or child. In the process, they begin to lose... Uh, their way, and find themselves hurting and alone. Since the ni- late 1970s, this was called codependency. Okay. So this was really interesting to me because I think it's exactly the type of thing that we were taught as kids and the rationality behind, like, why my mother, for example, kept getting into shitty and emotionally abusive relationships. So essentially just saying, like, okay, she... Maybe it just because of the way that she viewed her parents' relationship... She used that as a model for like her relationships later on. And, you know, she also that kind of fed into the way in which she existed in her romantic relationships later on in life. Um,
1: The kind of saying that that maybe maybe that we're confusing codependency with attachment styles. Is that kind of what what we're saying here?
0: Yeah, I think so. Just because, yeah, again, it did talk about. In this article, like how um, some people may have more of the attachment style of, you know, like I I think sometimes I do that I'm more of an anxious attachment style. And so I will have behaviors of. You know, come towards me, please, and like love me in these ways. And I'm worried about you leaving, and et cetera, et cetera. And that that can be conflated as like, well, you're being codependent or you are mm. codependent because of that style of loving that you do, essentially. when They may be two separate things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes a lot so, of sense. Yeah. I'll just read, um, yeah, just a little bit more from this article. So the term became commonplace, meaning codependency, and evolved into a caricature of a passive victim, compulsive caretaker, controller, or enabler, often blamed for causing the problem. This is interesting, yeah, because codependency is often misunderstood. Many professionals are seeking a new way to describe this pattern of loss of oneself and difficulty with regulating emotions, one that does not have stigma or cause shame.
1: Wow, yeah, yeah that that is really interesting that they bring up the fact that the label codependent does have all this like stigma and shame associated with it
0: yeah, yeah yeah
1: absolutely and and potentially like we had talked about before this sort of uh lack of accountability being given to the other person and then blame being mm-hmm. put on to the person who is trying to help them it, it is really interesting just all the yeah
0: it's a weird cyclical thing yeah, yeah.
1: I think this is a good case for the way that psychological principles or things that are being researched when brought into sort of pop psychology, mm-hmm. some I think more than others can very quickly become problematic. And it seems like this might be one of those that Yeah.
0: Yeah it, Well, that, there, that can there cause is problems. Such... <laughs> yeah totally just because there is yeah and not to say again that these things can't be helpful but like there is this big pop psychology slash like self-help sort of thing Mm -hmm. that happens now and that again if you're saying it's a disease that needs to be treated then perhaps like pop psychology slash like let's just go read a self-help book is not the best way in which to actually deal with these issues Mm -hmm. especially if it's one that stems from you know, intense, deep trauma as a kid from Mm. your parents or from, you know, traumatic things that occurred to you. Those are not something that you can just like read a book and like, it's gone forever sort of thing. Like it's something that really, I Mm. think does need the, that requires like the help of a medical professional to really get to the root of the issue rather than just let's go and like read a bunch of books and listen to a bunch of podcasts about like this issue kind of thing right. and yeah i mean i appreciate all of you out there listening to this but yeah i i just found it very interesting that that yeah i i see so many pinterest things of well <laughs> right. do the do these five steps and you're not going to be codependent anymore and it's like yikes i i think actually there's a lot more to it than that
1: right so so the last critique that we wanted to cover here uh we've talked about this a little bit already but essentially that critics of the codependency model are also worried that a fear of codependency and maybe the pathologizing mm-hmm. of the behaviors that are associated with codependency are actually causing people to become too independent and diminishing their need for others when, yeah. when as humans, we actually do need that and those things are important to our health, but that and I've I've heard this before with other sorts of uh, critiques of our very Western individualist societies too. That yes, you know that we are overvaluing something that's actually not healthy for us, which is this extreme independence. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. And then uh, with issues of substance abuse, like we talked about, um, the answer is usually like, okay, just cut off that person entirely. Like the Gottmans yeah. say something effectively like that. It's like if it's oh really. That, yeah, not in so many words, but essentially this idea of like, well, substance abuse is nope. there's no way that you can, like, that's always should be a deal breaker. At least that's wow. one that they sort of put into that category. And we talked about this a little bit. Um, gosh, I don't even remember what episode that was. Um, but it, it is interesting that there's just that kind of assumption of like, we've just got to cut that person off entirely. So that's the other yeah. critique here is that the the death rate... To drug addiction, specifically opioids, uh, is going up still. Right? Yeah, it's this war, this right war now. on drugs has been ethically unsuccessful. Um, yeah. But this idea of being fearful of codependency and being fearful of being an enabler and cutting people off with the hope that they hit rock bottom and then can get better on their own. Uh, may actually be leading to more relapse and more death, and that that is yeah. interesting. And I don't like you know I'm not someone who works in that field, so I don't know the specifics of that. But it is it is a compelling argument, I think.
0: Yeah, there was an article in Vice um, on Vice.com that just said why the codependency myth of drug addiction needs to die. Uh, Mm. And it's all about this essentially just, yeah, and it it said that thing in it that you were stating before, which is if it is a disease and if like cancer is a disease, you're not going to pathologize the loved ones of a cancer patient taking care of them and really, you know, trying to help them get better. But you might do that when it's a a person with substance who, who abuses substances. So. Yeah, that that is something to think about. And again, these are all such specific to the situation um, things that one has to think about and deal with because, yeah, I mean, gosh, if you're the mom of someone who is addicted to heroin, like how I don't know how you freaking let them just hit rock bottom like that very well mean that's it. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think there are caveats here. Absolutely, though, with all of this that we're talking about. Yeah. And Um, and
1: that's mostly to say that if you find that you are in an unsafe situation or Mm -hmm. a very clearly unhealthy situation because of trying to support someone uh, with with substance abuse problems or addiction. Uh, I mean, take care of yourself. We're not saying yes. like, oh no, you just got to talk don't it leave. out. Don't leave. No, not what no, no. But it yeah. really, varies case by case. So it's it's more that we don't want to be essentially pathologizing and socially punishing the people who do choose to care for their family members or their partners or people in their lives who may really need that support.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So just in conclusion, with all of this. And maybe before you start labeling yourself or others codependent, just ask yourself if there might be more to the story than just a simple label. So this is an idea, as we said before, that emerged out of the West um, and out of sort of people coming back from the Vietnam War, having, you know, substance abuse issues because of that, because of the traumas that they endured over there. But special considerations should be made for cultural and ethnic contexts regarding all of this. Uh, absolutely, because it is a very like Western idea. The idea of codependency is a mm-hmm. very Western thing. When it goes along so, with that
1: Western idea of independence yeah, being the ideal, yeah.
0: Exactly, absolutely. And it is sometimes best to explore different alternatives. Um, if you are in an unsafe situation, as Jay said, and you need to get out of it, then absolutely do that. But sometimes it's good to look at the critiques and challenge the idea that this word codependency has so much power, simply because it's super popular. And it's just kind of blown up in popularity over the last 50 years, I guess now 50 50 years. years. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it still is super prevalent. It's prevalent all over the place. You type in the word codependency and millions and millions of hits come up just because it is so popular. But uh, something that struck me about about doing the research on it is just how little I knew about the other side of the story, and so I hope, um, even though I know we kind of went all over the place today, but I hope that for some of you, uh, it's it's something to think about, and that you know, just the the narrative that you've heard forever isn't necessarily the entire story when it comes to codependency. So yeah, yeah, thank you all so much. Uh, we are going to do a bonus episode for our Patreon members. Um, about 12-step programs and codependency, something that I looked into a little bit more. Yeah, and it's fascinating. Just, again, codependency and 12-step programs super go hand in hand. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, And I'm really, really interested to hear what everyone thinks about this. I would love to know you know, if you've been in a codependent relationship, if you think of yourself as codependent, if you think like that this word is bullshit, I'm really fascinating to hear all of that. So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at Leave us a voicemail at 678-MULTI05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Jace Lindgren, and Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.